welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. Let's jump into the word today. I'm starting a new sermon series. Um, a Christmas sermon series. I don't normally do Christmas. We're doing a Christmas sermon series um, on, on, on hope. And I want to talk to you about the baby in the manger. And uh, there's that hymn, you know, a thrill of hope. Uh, the weary world rejoices. I'm not going to sing it for you, but I want, to, I, I want to talk to you about hope. Last month we talked about joy. We're ending, we're ending, uh, we're ending the year on a, on, on a positive note on joy and and hope, and the hope that Jesus brings, um, because I, I believe that there is hope for all of us and for the entire world because of Jesus. Because there was a baby in a manger, there is hope for us. There's hope for our world, uh, no matter how hopeless it may seem. Uh, and there's hope for our country, no matter how hopeless it may seem. And there's hope for you. There's hope for your relationships. There's, there's hope for, for your future. There's hope for, uh, for your job situation. There's hope for your finances. Uh, there's hope for your emotional state. There's hope for your hormones. Come on, somebody. No need to, no, no need to shout amen on that one. But there's, there's like whatever you may be facing, uh, whatever you may be facing, I believe that God has hope for you. And I believe that church ought to be a place where you come and you receive some of the hope of God, the hope that God has for you. And so um, we're going to look uh, at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, to jump into this. And, but, but, but before we do, we have a quote from Charles Spurgeon. And I want to share this with you. I saw this this week, and I think it's pretty interesting. Spurgeon says, Hope itself is like a star, and not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity, but only to be discovered in the night of adversity. Hope is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity, but only discovered in the night of uh, adversity. And so if you're here today, and if you're dealing with adversity, or if you're dealing, or if you're in darkness, if you feel like, like the lights are out in your life, if you're walking through darkness, you're, in, you're a perfect candidate to receive the hope of God. It was hopeless people that received the birth of Jesus. Now, now I know when I say the story, the Christmas story, um, you think immediately of some people who probably had some hope, right? You have Joseph, who was, Scripture says, a righteous man. So he's, he's doing pretty good for himself. You have Mary, who's blessed and highly favored among all women, and blessed is the fruit of her womb. That's a weird way to say it, but that's the way God calls you awesome if your womb is blessed. Anyway, it's a, good, it's a good thing. And you see these two people. Honestly, Mary's too young to have messed up too much in her life, period. And Joseph is a pretty righteous man. You see these two people who kind of have it together. They receive from God, obviously, the miraculous uh, virgin birth where the angel appears to Mary and pronounces all these wonderful things about her and how God has chosen her, what God's going to do through her. And you see that story, and that story's good. The story's a good story and it's and it's and it's a it's a powerful story there's actually within that story you have shepherds who are the outcasts of community and God speaks to them so we're going to be talking about that next week but then also you you have wise men wise men who are outside of like they're called wise men because they're not prophets they're not even a part of Judaism. It's believed these, these people were pagans who, who served other gods. 
And so God, in, in the Christmas story, he not only reaches out to those who were believed to have been a part of the people of God, were just kind of outcasts, he also reaches out to people who are straight up pagans, unbelievers. And so the Christmas story is a story of hope in several layers of darkness. But when you read the Christmas story in its, in its nucleus, you have Adam, or you have Joseph and, and Mary, you have the man and woman, and, and, and then you have this beautiful baby. But there's so much that goes into this story. There's so much before the story, actually. And so actually, I could spend the entire, I don't know, next, next year, we could spend 2022 looking through Matthew chapter 1. And um, because in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew gives us a long list of the story before the story. And he gives us all of these names of people that led up to the story. And all of the names, every single name in that list is important. Every single name in that list is crucial. And some of the names in the list are kind of infamous. Like they're not all good. They're not all wonderful people. God, God, God presents to us a list of people who are important to the story. They're before the story, but they're just as important as the story. Let me tell you something. Before you came to Christ, the, your story before the story is just as important as the story after the story. Are you fully confused yet? But no, but I, I think sometimes we tend to want to erase. We get out our little pencil and we start erasing our past story because that makes us look bad. Guess what? The story that makes you look bad often makes God look good. You might want to leave the story in the story. The, the story before the story, leave that story. Because where you came from is a testimony to who God is and how great God is. The fact that God loves you when you're clean, that's nice. But when God loves you when you're at your lowest, this is part of your story. And it gives him glory. And it makes you feel bad, but that's okay. You can feel better once in a while if it gives him glory. So no matter where you're at in your story, no matter how much hope or how little hope you're feeling in the season, I want to encourage you that whatever that, that story can be worked into a greater story. And that's what Matthew chapter 1 is all about. Actually, if we go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 is the first slide. Um, Matthew, it's interesting, describes his gospel like this. He says, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, that's interesting. In our Bible, it's called the gospel of Matthew. But Matthew himself didn't title it the gospel of Matthew or the good news of Matthew. Matthew titled this the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And actually, as you read, for those, those of you that are reading your Bible, um, as you read the book of Matthew, check it out. Read Matthew from this perspective, that Matthew was written to be a book about the genealogy of Jesus. In other words, it was written to be a book about where Jesus came from. And the entire gospel is like that. As you read, Matthew's constantly referencing Old Testament prophecies and how Jesus is fulfilling those prophecies. He's constantly trying to tell us who Jesus is and where he has come from. And so he starts off his book, the entire first chapter essentially, is, is this long genealogy or this list of people that gave birth to so-and-so, that gave birth to so-and-so, that gave birth to so-and-so. And he starts off that list by saying, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Abraham. Now what he's doing there is he's, he's, he's pointing out the Son of God, that he's the Son of God, right? But then he's pointing out the, the Son of uh, David and the son of Abraham. 
And, and these are two crucial points. And so I'm not going to read the whole genealogy because it's quite long, but you can check it out. It's basically verse 2 through um, verse 16. And if we go down to verse 17, which should be the, the next slide, you'll see that, that Matthew summarizes this. He says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. All the generations from David until captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are 14 generations. In other words... He's laying out human history in clumps of 14 generations. And he starts off with, 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 with Abraham, he goes to David, and he goes to the captivity, and then he goes to Christ. Now, it's interesting that when he, Abraham, that's, that's, that's a human. David is a human. Captivity is not a human. And then Christ is a human. So, so what in the world's going on with this captivity? So in order to understand the captivity, you have to go back to verse 16. So I'm jumping around a little bit, but that should be the next slide. In verse 16, he tells us that Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Sheatiel, Sheatiel begot Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel begot Abiud, Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor, Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliad, and Eliad begot Eliezer, and Eliezer begot Mathen, and Mathen begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born, of whom is called Jesus Christ. Notice that Achan uh, begot J or, um, Jacob begot Joseph. See that? Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom of Mary was born Jesus. In other words, uh, Joseph did not begot Jesus. Does that make sense? So he's going, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so, always by the males, usually. Uh, he's referencing the males of the family because they're the head of the household. Um, but when he gets to Jesus, he says that uh, Jacob begot Joseph, and then Joseph was basically married to Mary, and Mary begot Jesus. Does that make sense? And so this, this is important because this story is important. He starts off with Abraham, and then he goes to David, and then he goes to Jeconiah. Jeconiah is the guy who was king during when they were carried away, carried away to Babylon. And then he goes to Jesus. He really breaks up human history in four different parts, and maybe it's just because I've been watching a lot of football lately. But I think, I think it's almost like four quarters of a football game. Actually, I would, I would adjust it a little bit. I would say the first quarter of human history, the captain of the team was a man named Adam. I mean, you've heard of Adam and Eve. Adam was not a good quarterback. He was kind of like Johnny Menzel. Let's just, let's just throw this out there. Good old Texan boy. Uh, yeah, Johnny, Johnny like he, he was kind of like Johnny. Like he would he'd throw an interception multiple interceptions and then he would blame the person next to him. So he's like, no, it's the woman. It was the woman that you gave me. And basically, basically Adam blows it. In the, the whole first quarter, human history goes so, we fall so far behind that there's like, it's like we'll never come back. We, he threw several pick sixes. He, he, got, he fumbled. He lost the ball. I mean, we were so far behind after the first quarter of human history that things were looking really, really bad. And that's when God reached out and called a man named Abraham. Now, Abraham is like Tom Brady. He's the goat. Um, Abraham, actually, he's also old like Tom Brady. Abraham was called by God. And I'm not saying that Tom Brady was called. 
Tom might be called by God. I don't know. Good Michigan boy. He might, this is an anointing on his life, or maybe. Uh, but, you know, the, God, God called Abraham when he was 70 years old. We have no record of God ever speaking to Abraham before he's 70. And so God calls Abraham when he's about to retire. He's about to get a motorhome and travel around the country with his wife and explore all the stuff he never got to see. But then all of a sudden, God calls Abraham to move to a land that he's never known, step out in faith. And because of that, Abraham's called the father of the faith. I mean, he is the goat, like of the Old Testament. Abraham is the, the greatest of all time. He's the father, not only of the Christian faith, we derive, we find our, our identity in Abraham as children of Abraham. Just read the New Testament. It's like we're entering into these promises. But also Judaism sees their or, origination in, in Abraham. And not only Judaism, but Islam also sees their or, origination in Abraham. I mean, Abraham is the father of several Faith. I mean, the dude is epic. He's Tom Brady, okay? So he, and he did everything right. Like, he never threw an interception. He never fumbled the ball. I mean, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't, he wasn't God, but I mean, he was pretty tactical. He pretty much gave what the defense gave him. You know, he took what the defense gave him. Uh, he, he, he had some great touchdowns of faith. And suddenly, human history is looking up. Things are, things are looking a bit better. And then we get into the second half, and the, the, the quarter, the, 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 the third quarter is opened. God, God calls a substitution, and he brings in a young guy named David. And David's kind of like, I don't know, um, Dak Prescott. That's another Texan. Texan. He's like, he was good and he was good young. Like right from the very jump, he was good. So, so Dak, David Prescott, all right, steps onto the, the scene. And, 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 and it's a perfect time for him to come on because, because human history is doing better. God's made promises and covenants with Abraham. And things are looking up. It seems like the Messiah is coming. It seems like something great is about to happen. And then he goes down. Yeah, David, just like Dak Prescott, rolls his ankle, breaks it in a bazillion pieces, Last year, this was last year, those of you that are football fans. Anyway, he, like, he, he was done. He was done for the season. David, man, David had more of an Achilles injury because it was a woman. It was, it was more of an Achilles heel for the man. He falls to Bathsheba. He falls to a woman. And really from that point on, his kingdom and his reign and his rule just kind of starts falling apart. Prior to that, though, things were, things were mighty good for David. And even still after that, God maintained his covenant with David. And if you're wondering what that covenant is, we have that um, passage, the scripture to put up there for you in 2 Samuel. God made a covenant with David. And uh, this is as he's getting ready to die. He says, your house and your kingdom will be established forever before you. Your throne will be established forever. Ever. And if you read the entire passage, he actually has some prophetic implications about the Messiah being born through David's line. Because obviously there's no throne on earth that's going to last forever. And so he's promising David that, that the Son of God was going to be born in his family from his lineage. And specifically his royal lineage because his throne would last forever not just his family but his throne was going to last forever he was going they he had started this thing the third quarter had started well and even though he had been injured and even though he had gone down god was going to bring in a backup of all backups and it was going to be amazing and the backup his name is jeconiah and jeconiah blows it he plays just like you'd expect a backup to play if they thought he was good enough to be a starter, he would have been a starter. But they didn't. And that's why he's a backup. 
Jeconiah comes in. He reigned for, I think it was three months. If you want to look, look at the Old Testament, you'll, you'll, see, you'll see the record of, of, of this reign. I think it was three months. And after three months, God had had enough with him. And so God made this proclamation. I think in Jeremiah uh, 22, God makes this proclamation against Jeconiah. And actually, he actually changes his name. He calls him Kaniah. Like, like he gave him a, a, a wimpier nickname. He says, totally take the jet out of it. Like there's, there's, there's no jet in this name. It's just Kaniah. And then he says to him, he says, thus says the Lord, write this man, write Jeconiah down as childless, a man who will not prosper in his days for none of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David and ruling any more or ever again in Judah. So this is brutal. He didn't just twist his ankle. He didn't just fall once and repent like David did. Instead, Jeconiah was really, it wasn't just him, but he was the last straw, I guess, in a series of kings that were openly rebelling against God time and time and time again. And finally, God said, it's done. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't have you throw any more interceptions. I can't have you fumble the ball anymore. I can't have you killing team humanity anymore because they had gone, they had become so much what exactly what God had called them to fight against, they had become. And God said, now it's done. And so Jeconiah was carried away to Babylon. Jeconiah and all of Judea and all of Israel was carried away captive, and they were dispersed. And when, 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 when you come upon the story in, in Luke, the story, what we call the Christmas story, when you get to the story, there's so much pre-story before the story that the pre-story is still having an effect on the current story. Because when you come to this story, you see uh, Joseph and Mary, you see wonderful promises that God has made, and then you see Caesar Augustus declaring attacks, and everybody has to go to, their, to, to the, the place where they are from, which is Bethlehem. Well, the reason why Mary and Joseph have to do that is because they are a part of a conquered nation. In fact, they never were unconquered after Jeconiah. They were carried away captive to Babylon, and literally one superpower after another just traded them like pawns. And now the superpower is Rome, and Rome is telling them what to do. Well, guess what? If you're going to have a son of David sit on the throne forever, and now all of a sudden God has made—this this is the great dilemma in all of Scripture, by the way, is what do you do when God's promises meet your failures? What do you do when God's promises meet human, humanity's failures? Because God had promised David, uh, one of your sons will sit on my throne forever. He'll sit on your throne. Your throne will be established forever. And then you follow down the Davidic line and you get down to Jeconiah. And then God tells Jeconiah, hey, never again. So how is it that God is going to be able to fulfill his promise to David and his curse to Jeconiah? It's one of the great dilemmas of Scripture that people don't usually talk about on Christmas, but I kind of like to be a little weird, and, and I've preached on this passage a couple of times for Christmas because, darn it, I think it's important because we completely miss it. If we, and if you don't see the tension in Scripture, you don't really see the good news or the gospel of Jesus. Because if all you—and and that's also true in your real life—if you don't see the tension, 
If you don't understand, like, 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 when, like when, I'm, when I'm talking to people and they're like, I'm not really sure I want to follow God because it's just difficult and it's hard. That's, that's a good thing that you understand that, that you see the tension between where you are and where God wants you to be, that you see the tension between where you've come from and what God's saying about you now, right? If you don't see the tension between who God says you are and who the enemy says you are, you haven't really heard one of those voices, you haven't really sat down and thought about this. And so we, to me, looking at the tension within the manger scene is really important because embedded in the manger scene, you have Joseph, who is the son of Jeconiah. He's a descendant from Jeconiah. And God told Jeconiah none of his sons would ever sit on the throne ever again. But yet God told David that his throne would be established forever. So what's going on here and what a lot of times what happens is is people 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 take one of two lanes right they take either lane number one god doesn't keep his promises right and so they say see the bible contradicts itself because it says one thing and then it goes and says something else and it's contradictory and so they say well god doesn't keep his promises he's not trustworthy or they take another lane and they're like i don't understand it but i just believe it it's just kind of a an sort of ignorant sort of belief. Uh, I don't need to understand it. It's just, it's just faith. I'm just going to go for it. As if God doesn't want us to know who he is and how he works. But I believe that God wants us to know who he is and how he works because it's so important for your life today. Because what you're facing today, the fact that, you, that, you, that, that, that other people are joyful, but you are struggling to feel hope, that's a very legit, real place to be. That is exactly where Joseph and Mary were. That is embedded in their story. They grew up under captivity, not just under captivity, but knowing that their captivity would never end because God had canceled his promise to David. God had cursed Jeconiah and Jeconiah's failures, not just Jeconiah's, but several generations of failures were somehow greater than the promise of God. This is the reality that they're living in. This is the truth that they're adopting, that they have believed. And, and for those who still believed in a Messiah that was coming, they said, well, we don't know how God's going to do it or where that Messiah is going to come from because he promised David this, but then he promised Jeconiah that. And this is, by the way, the great question in all of our lives. Do my failures trump his promises? Do my failures alter his word? Do my hang-ups and my issues, and very real issues, by the way, that God takes very seriously. I mean, he's not joking around with Jeconiah. He says, look, and actually within that passage, I think it's verse 29, uh, he, says, he says, if you were a ring on my finger, I would take you and throw you out the window. Like, why? Because his persistent sin, he wasn't letting go of, of his sin. He was, he was choosing himself time and time and time and time again. And God says, I've had enough of this. I can't take this rebellion anymore. I can't use you. And so he throws Jeconiah out. But the great question is, can the value of the ring still be there even when it's been chucked out the window? Can God's promises still come to completion even when you have messed up, even when I have messed up? And the answer is yes. The answer is absolutely. There is no expiration date on the promises of God. There's an expiration date on, on your trouble. There's an expiration date on your trial. But there's no expiration date on the promises of God. 
And we see that in the Christmas story, and we see that actually in this genealogy, because in this genealogy, Matthew makes sure to point out that Joseph is a descendant of Jeconiah. That Joseph is a, is a descendant of the line of Jeconiah. And then he also makes sure to point out that Joseph did not begot Jesus. Why is that? Well, because Joseph could not begot Jesus. Because Joseph was cursed. Does that make sense? And, 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 and this is the beauty of Christmas is that God God can God can give you what you cannot beget or begot. God can provide for you what you can't produce. This is the beauty of the Christmas story is is not that we loved God and then he sent his son. It's not that we worked and then he blessed us. It's not that we performed and then he blessed us. But the beauty of the Christmas story is that while we were yet sinners, that in the middle of darkness, God brought hope. That in the middle of darkness, the light of hope began to shine. And those who sat in darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the light couldn't see the light. The Pharisees and the scribes, and they were full of the light of Scripture, and yet they couldn't see the light that was right in front of them. But it was the ones who sat in darkness that actually could see the light. And Isaiah prophesies about this, and God prophesies through Isaiah what he's going to do, how he's going to reconcile, how he's going to fulfill his promise to David and his curse to Jeconiah. And so in Isaiah, I think it's chapter 6, or uh, chapter 9, flipped around there. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. This is that chapter. He prophesies. And then he says in verse 3, you have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. Come on, somebody. That was last month's sermon series. And then he goes down in verse 6 it says for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given now I I want you to look at this a child with a capital C so this is this is known to be prophetic of Jesus unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and so within the manger scene you have Mary unto her a child is born and then you have Joseph unto him a son is given you see that? So it's both of those. For Mary, the child was born. For Joseph, the son was given. But the power is just the same for both. So this is the beauty of Christmas, is that you might be unable to produce what God has called you to produce, and that's fine. He can provide what God has called. He can provide it. He can give it. You don't have to work for it. But on the other hand, you might be able to produce what God has called you to produce. You might have been faithful. And that's good too. God will work through faithfulness and unfaithfulness. God will work through obedience and disobedience. It, both within the same manger scene, you have, some, you have somebody who came from the family line that was cursed, and you have somebody who came from the family line that was blessed. So in the, in the Gospel of Luke, we, you, you have another genealogy of Jesus, and it's just kind of thrown in there. Uh, you can check it out in Luke chapter 3. We're not going to read it today. But it goes backwards, actually. It starts with Jesus and works its way back through human history and much of the genealogy is the exact same as the genealogy in Matthew like word for word so and so begot so and so begot so and so only it's different when you get to David and so uh, with with the genealogy in Luke it actually starts with Adam goes to Abraham goes from Abraham down to David and then at David things change a little bit 
And so the genealogy of Matthew, which is the family line of Joseph, works through the royal line. King Solomon was David's son, Solomon, and then it goes down through that way, and then down to Jeconiah. But the one in Luke works through just his family line, uh, his, his third-born child to Bathsheba named Nathan. And so Nathan, then it changes from Nathan, and then it just follows Nathan's lineage. And after, and at the end of that lineage is a young lady named Mary. So most people believe that the Matthew genealogy is the genealogy of Joseph. The Luke genealogy is the genealogy of Mary. And so we see with both these genealogies, when you put them together, that God is able to complete his promises, fulfill his promises to David because a son of David does actually sit on the throne. And this is what the angel says to Mary. It says, uh, he will be great and he will be called the most high God and he will sit on the throne of his father, David. Does that make sense? So what happens is, <laughs> what, what humanity thought was royal wasn't the only path that God had. The truth is that your first, your first pick probably, your first thought probably is not what God's planning on doing with your life. When he speaks to you and you say, okay, yep, all right, that's what he said, so that's where we're going. Yeah, maybe. There's a strong chance that that, that, that human effort doesn't always work. But the word, the name Nathan means God has given or the gift of God. It was actually the only son that, that Bathsheba herself was allowed to name herself. And she named him God has given. Why? Because this one is going to come through grace, not through works. This one is going to come through his provision, not my production. This one is going to come through his grace, not my power. Through his power, not my own. And so what happens is, the Bible traces that genealogy, and it comes down to Mary. So when God picked Mary, it wasn't just because she was behaving well. It was because she was a part of the family lineage of Nathan. And she knew that that family, God knew that that, that family lineage had been, had been following him faithfully. And so he chose Mary. But he didn't, he didn't stick Mary with another uh, from that same family. And he could have. He could have just said, well, Mary, you're going to marry um, Bob over here. Because Bob is also a descendant of Nathan or one of the two other sons of David. But instead, he specifically wanted to fulfill his promise to David that his royal line would last forever. And so he calls, he calls a man named Joseph to marry Mary. Joseph is the royal line. Why? Because God doesn't just let things, he doesn't just throw people away. Even, even though our sin can separate us from him, he's always yearning to bring us back into relationship with himself. He's always yearning to bring us back. And he's going to find some way to do it. And so he does find a way to do it. He finds a way through adoption. He brings uh, these two together, and then, he, and then Joseph isn't going to receive it. Because as usual, uh, human thinking has a hard time receiving the gift of God. And Joseph says, man, I can't, she's, she's pregnant. This is going to cause a scene. This is going to be a big, big trouble. Uh, I'm going to put her away quietly. And God interrupts his plans and says, Joseph, no, what is in her is of the Holy Spirit. You need to take her as your wife. And I feel like ever since then, God has been <laughs> pleading with, with cursed people to receive the blessing of God. To say, I know you think you don't deserve it. I know you think it couldn't happen for you. 
right? Because Mary tells him, look, uh, this angel and the son of David and all this stuff. And he's like, well, that's obviously not true because I'm me. Because when you grow up hearing the stories of great grandpa Jeconiah, and when you grow up realizing that, man, we'd be sitting on thrones right now. And, you know, your mom is like, ah, like Jeconiah becomes a curse word, you know. When you get called Jeconiah, you know you're really in trouble. You know, you stupid son of Jeconiah. Here you come again. <laughs> messing up again. Man, there you are. There, there you go again. I mean, because one guy like blew it for everybody. And uh, I don't know if that was an actual phrase. That's just in my mind. I imagine that that's kind of how it went. Anytime you did something stupid, you were probably a son of Jeconiah. And he literally is a son of Jeconiah. Like, literally. He's literally, like, he's thinking, man, like, Jeconiah blew it. And he grows, and you grow up believing that about yourself? You grow up believing that you're cursed? You grow up believing that you can't get anything right? You grow up believing that God can't use you because of where you came from? You grow up believing that with that on your mind, with that weight on your heart? By the time Mary comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, and it was God, and it's the Messiah. It's the son of David. He's going to sit on the throne forever. Like, even when good news comes to you, you're not going to be able to receive it because you believe this about yourself. And you have unqualified yourself. And you have decided for yourself that you cannot be who God says you can be. And then God intervenes again and he wakes him up in a dream and he tells him, no, 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 this is from me. It is what I'm saying. You are more than where you've come from. You are more than where you've been. You are a son of Jeconiah and that's not such a bad thing. Because God can redeem Jeconiah and sons of Jeconiahs. God can bring back, like it doesn't matter how far down you get, unless you're Iowa State, but it doesn't matter how far down you get, God can make, can set you up for a comeback. That is the hope of Christmas, that, that a son of Jeconiah, and, 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 and this is mind-blowing to me, but in the, Christ, the Christmas story, that we think of the Christmas story, Joseph and Mary, right, they're, they're going to Bethlehem, and they can't find any room in the inn, and so they're out in this, in this field, really in, in like a part of a cave where they used to keep the animals, and there's no midwife. And God set it up that way. God timed it so that Christ would be born in Bethlehem without a midwife. And this is actually is in Psalm 22 if you want to read it. But God timed it specifically. So there's no midwife. So who's going to catch the baby? <laughs> that stupid son of Jeconiah. <laughs> it's going to become a new cuss word around here. I don't know how I feel about that. No, I mean, when, when God chose for his son to be born, he... he, he, he he canceled, he canceled the professionals. And the first hands to touch his baby boy is the cursed hands of a son of Jeconiah. <laughs> For unto us a son is born, unto us a child is given. And this is the picture of grace. This is the picture of God's goodness and God's mercy. It's amazing what God will trust you with, no matter how far you've fallen. No matter how many things you've dropped, <laughs> no matter how many passes you've dropped, he'll put you back in. He'll say, we're going to run that same play again, and this time, we're gonna, this time you're going to catch it. It's going to go right in your hands. It's amazing the faith that God has in Joseph, judging, considering where he's come from. 
and the family that he's a part of and the tendencies that he probably has. Because <laughs> sometimes it's not even us that's made the mistake. It's generations past. And alcoholism ran in our family for years and years and years and years. And by the time it gets to us, it's this tidal wave of momentum and we can't seem to stop it. And yet God says, no, no, no. Look, all of these years, this tidal wave, let, let me hand you something. What does he hand him? He hands him his own son. And this is what Isaiah says about that son. He says in Isaiah 9, he says, and the government, uh, continuing along verse 6 there, he says, and the government will be upon his shoulder. In other words, the weight of decision-making is not on your shoulders. The weight of ruling is not on your shoulders. Uh, the, 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 the pressure of having to keep this up well, okay, I'll receive Jesus, but I don't know how I'm, going to, how I'm going to keep walking with them. You don't need to know. The government will be on his shoulders. The weight of ruling, the weight of, 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 of providing security, the weight of thinking ahead, the weight of budgeting, the weight of everything is on his shoulders. The government will be up on his shoulders in his name. Not your name, not my name. It should be up here on the screen, but his name will be called Wonderful. If you want to read along, uh, his name will be called Wonderful. His name will, will be called the Counselor. In other words, you don't have to have all the good ideas. You don't have to know how to fix your marriage. You don't have to know how to, how, how to provide this and provide that. You don't have to figure it all out. His name will be called the Counselor. So when, so when God handed Joseph, this baby boy, he was handing him a, a ruler that the government would be on his shoulders, that his name would be called Wonderful, that he would be the counselor, that he would be the one that you could go to, that you could receive instruction from. His name will be called Counselor. His name will be called the Mighty God. Whenever you get tired of operating out of your own strength, there is a Mighty God ready to enter into your life. There is a God whose mighty hand is able to do above and beyond what you could ask or imagine. He will be called the everlasting father. Whenever you're ready to stop being fatherless. I've talked to so many people and they're like, well, I just, I just don't understand God because I didn't really have a father. You know, it's fatherless generation. I talked to one guy, he was telling me about that. And I said, your dad lives like, and I, I told him the city. He's like, well, yeah, but he wasn't really there for me. <laughs> You actually had a dad. Like, what are you talking about? You, but, but we have this, this orphan mentality. I didn't have the dad I wanted. I didn't have the dad I needed. I didn't have the dad who was there for me. I didn't have, and we have all these lists. And it's like, wow, my goodness, I hope my kids don't judge me like that. Because I, I'm probably not the dad my kids want or they need or that they, like, I probably have some holes in, in my dadness. And, 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 and we all do. Like, anyone born to a human, you're going to have issues with that human. But that's why he says, look, he will be the everlasting father, the nonstop father, the father that continues to father. <laughs> he will be, if you can receive him. And I'm not saying get rid of your dad, but you can actually probably forgive your dad if you learn to receive an everlasting father who was there for you from the very beginning, who's been guarding you and protecting you from the very beginning. He says he will be an everlasting father and the prince of peace. And of the increase of his kingdom and peace, there will be no end. Have you allowed his kingdom to increase in every area of your life? Or have you kept it to one corner? Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. to 11.30. That's his kingdom. There we go. But no, when, it, when his kingdom starts to increase to your finances, 
You begin to see the power of God in your finances. When his kingdom starts to increase to your relationships, you see the power of God in your relationships. When his kingdom starts to increase to your physical healing, you see the power of God in your body. Every step that his kingdom increases, it brings also peace. His kingdom and peace, there will be no end. His kingdom and his peace are connected. So as he reigns, there is peace. And whatever you allow him to reign in your life, that's where peace will reign. His kingdom and peace will will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward even forevermore. And so the question is, have you received Jesus? Have you you received him? Have you accepted just simply to be in a place of receiving or do you still think you need to work for it? Do you believe that God's goodness is greater than your failure? If the answer is yes, you will see the peace of God. You will see the power of God. Would you pray with me right now? I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants to open that up to you, to receive Him. And maybe you've prayed a prayer before, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about receiving Jesus into your heart and into your life and into your home. Talking about receiving Him, opening up our arms to Him and saying, I I receive you, I need you. I don't have all the answers, but I believe that you do. And I believe that if I can, if I can get over myself, now if, I, I can, if I can get over my past and if I can get over the, the, all the excuses and if I, I can just believe in you, that you will do exactly what, you, what I need. Father, we, we do, we come before you and your word is true. You are the everlasting Father. You are the prince of peace. Your kingdom and your peace expand together at the same time. Lord, may your kingdom expand in our hearts, fully expanding in our hearts. If there's any areas where your kingdom is not operational in our lives, Lord, may we open up the door to you and surrender to you, laying down the keys to this place and handing them over to you, that nothing would be restricted access, nothing would be held back from you. May this season, this season that is full of joy and also full of pain also full of disappointment this season 2021 that has a lot of darkness in it Lord may we see the hope of Jesus and may we receive him so if that's you today would you just raise your hands as we did during worship in an act of surrender and say God I receive you I receive all of you, all that you have to give, all that you want to do in my life. Whatever you want to speak to me about, whatever, however you want to push me and, and uh, prod, whatever you want to take away from me. Well, we're not, we're not receiving you in order to receive something else. No, we're receiving you. <laughs> and you're good enough, and so we receive you, Jesus. We open up our hearts to you. We open up our minds to you. We open up our emotions, our soul our mind, our will, and our emotions, we open those up to you. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for thee. Hmm. Lord, even right now, even as we're, as we're opening up our arms to receive you, Lord, would you just speak to us? Would you bring peace? 
would we begin to sense a fresh sense of peace in areas that we were sensing turmoil, in areas where we were anxious? Lord, would you allow us to feel your peace? We trust you, Lord, that everything you have for us is always for our good, that your plans, what did he say? I have plans for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope. Hmm. Lord, we receive your hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for joining with us today. Uh, next week, we're going to take communion together, so I invite you to join us for communion. And if God's speaking anything to you, any next steps, um, we believe in baptism. So if you'd like to be baptized, let us know. We'll set up a time. We have water baptism right there in the, the little trough right there. So we'll, we'll water baptize you, and uh, it's a great next step. Uh, meanwhile, another um, great next step is prayer. Uh, we meet on Wednesday nights for prayer and worship. Uh, you right here in this building, you can join us or join us online. Uh, we will be connecting with God this week in prayer, and we look forward to seeing you there. If not, just keep coming to church. Uh, keep 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 doing what what you're doing. We love you. You're dismissed. <laughs> Let me walk about the cabin.